What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 31 of Through the Veil. I am your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, I have my good friend and returning podcast guest, Sarah Hawley, formerly Regal Huth. And this is a beautiful episode because she has just released her new book called Conscious Leadership, A Journey from Ego to Heart. And Sarah is someone who I've known for quite a while and who I have a deep trust for in the business space and in the leadership space. She really has created some beautiful companies in a very beautiful way uh, that I find really inspiring. It's a different paradigm of leadership and it's been extremely impactful and effective for her. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we jump in, a couple of notes. So first of all, we are back with podcast episodes, which is amazing and I feel good to be doing it again after a brief hiatus and I'm just excited to be here and some of the ways that you can help support the podcast support my work is to sign up if you are interested in one-on-one coaching it is available it is up on my website you can find that at www.throughtheveil.co and you can book a discovery call for us to dig in and I can learn a little bit about you find if it's a good fit get the two of us set up and get everything ready to rock on that front Um, all those links will be in the show notes as well as the pre-order link to sarah's new book which you can get on amazon and so much love for you all if you are listening this is a super good episode and i'm excited to be recording again and releasing again so without any more rambling from me let's go ahead and jump right into the episode Sarah, welcome to Through the Veil. Thank you for being here. I'm uh, happy to have you back. I think you might be, except for Godzi, you're my first repeat guest, I think. So that's a that's high quality company there. Um, if you want to give yourself a little intro and tell everyone kind of who you are, what you do, um, and a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you for having me back. Last time we were recording together in Tulum, which was pretty nice in person. So that was when we first met as well. And I think early on in your in this podcast, right? You're like episode five, I want to say. Yeah, cool. Well, it is great to be back. Um, so a little bit about me. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. My ego really likes to attach to that. I've been diving into some stuff around that the last mm-hmm. few days, actually. Um, currently working on a remote work platform called Growmotely, which is an evolution of my previous business that I still own, Grow My Team, um, which was started as a remote recruitment company, but now kind of has evolved into being like a HR consultancy business for um, helping businesses develop a more conscious culture and really work with with them on their culture. But I'm no longer working that business. I'm CEO of Growmotely, which is our new remote work platform, as I said. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for about 10 years. I'm a new mother. So that's a new role for me to yeah. attach to and adopt. Um, that's been a really cool journey. So Luca is like eight and a half weeks old. I guess it's the point now where we say months, right? So he's two months yeah. old. <laughs> he's super cute. Um I got married since I was last on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I, met, I met Joe. Actually, it's so funny that trip in Tulum. So 
my husband, I know through the fit for service community, which I know you and it's Joe and I talk about how, Oh, we also like connected at your retreat. So you were, you're a very big part of our life now, but we talk about how we were in fit for service for a whole year and never really met at all Mm -hmm. um, until we both gave workshops at your retreat and attended your retreat and had an amazing time. And um, which was like a year into our journey, but just to, go back to the Tulum story, there's a bunch of photos of events that we were both at in Tulum. There was only like 15 people there at a dinner or whatever. We were like two people apart. Like somehow. Never met. Like we were at a clay, the clay ceremony that we all did Mm -hmm. on the beach where all the women were topless and we Mm -hmm. were all rubbing clay all over each Mm -hmm. other. There was about 30 of us and we never, never, never bumped into each other, never wrapped clay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was pretty wild. There was some divinity and, the timing of our meeting but yeah so we 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 met we locked down together in quarantine and ended up falling in love getting pregnant getting married mm-hmm. um that's been a big part of the last 12 months and i guess what else about me like i love to travel and adventure which is i'm doing mostly in the united states or exclusively in the united states at the moment because of current circumstances um but keeping the adventure spirit alive where we can um yeah i don't know yeah that's perfect yeah it's so funny that just like getting to know you since that Tulane summit and just watching sort of the blossoming that's happened between you and joe and now luca is like just i don't know one of my favorite things that's ever happened so i know he's so cute (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think it's interesting a really really good spot for us to start that's one of the first things you said that I'd love to hear more about if you want to share, which is identifying as an entrepreneur and having some, you know, struggle or interesting introspection around that title. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think what I've been diving into the last few days is probably a little bit deeper than just identifying as an entrepreneur, but like which company I'm running and how that company is going and how much I still attach to that as a part of my identity. And I feel like I kind of went through this big ego death in this realm back in 2018, when I sold my financial planning company, I'd been in finance for 17 years. I'd worked in a family business. I had a finance degree. I'd had several financial planning companies myself. So it was like multifaceted, but it was such a huge part of who I was. And I think this work is so interesting because like you go through that whole experience and it was very visceral, like, oh my goodness, like I'm I'm closing the door on this chapter Mm. and who am I without it? And I went through this whole soul searching and months of seeking who I am in the world without that. Um, And, you know, come forward, whatever it is, four years later. And it's like, oh, I firmly reestablished like this part of myself that I now identify with. And Mm. I guess I have the awareness now to see it, but it's funny how it's like still, you know, I still find myself attaching to it. And I was having a a day on Monday um, where I'm in the middle of a capital raise. And like on this particular day, I'd had like two investors that I'd recently pitched to say no. Mm. And I was also like really tired and Joe and I were going to buy a house. And then we decided we weren't going to buy that house. And it was just like a bunch of stuff going down Mm -hmm. that kind of put me into a bit of a funk. Um, And the focus of the funk seemed to then go around this, the capital raise and the business and this can kind of confronting of like, 
the challenge that I'm taking on. Like I'm trying mm. to build a multi-billion dollar company. It's a fast growing startup. It's technology. It's very new. It's very big. And it's like, it's a, a high stakes game. Like yeah. it's not something that I can like, you know, cruise along with and it'll 100% work out. I've just got to right. do it slowly or something. It's like, you know, I'm going all in and it was almost like confronting, well, what if it doesn't work? Mm. And I just, I noticed like the abandonment wound come up and the like feeling that like, you know, my life is so wonderful. I have this amazing relationship, the healthiest relationship by a long shot. And not, not just that it's healthier than the previous, it is a healthy relationship, yeah. <laughs> very healthy, very loving. Six compared to the pre- previous three. Is it, yeah, uh... yeah, exactly. It's like, it's a 10, it's an 11. It's unbelievable. Mm. Um, and I've got this beautiful baby boy and this community and family and everything I ever wanted and noticing this story that if I didn't succeed in my business that Mm. I would lose it all. And I was like, wow, it's so fascinating how I Mm -hmm. still attach my worth in the world to how successful perceivably I am um, in the work that I do in the world. And, you know, Joe just said, I must've been going on my tangent and like feeling upset and he could like sense into what I was going through. And he was like, you know, I don't love you because of what you're doing in your business. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, Oh, Ah. like just in that moment it was like this calm and just realizing like actually there's a part of me that thought that you did maybe then maybe that was why and if I don't do this right like everything's going to explode in my life and Mm -hmm. it's just you know I'm very aware of how much meaning I make of my experience through the work that I do or Mm -hmm. how how much yeah I think that's Mm -hmm. the right the way to say it like how much meaning I make um even though I know it's all meaningless like Mm. if I'm here and I'm having this experience that's the way that I engage with it and make meaning and yeah I mean it's such a paradox right yeah absolutely what else what else (laughs) yeah well it it draws into something I struggle with often which is just the practice of really trying to it's almost like my ego wants to source my my self-worth and it wants to source it especially from the things I do. And that's like its favorite target rather than, you know, even at a higher level sourcing it from like, I'm the one who adapts. Like I am the one who is able to make pivots. I'm the one who's always been okay throughout the entirety of my life. Yeah, Um, It's really interesting how it'll kind of throw, throw us into a tailspin of like, you know, I've had points where like my coaching's not going very well. And I'm just like, Oh, I guess I must be a bad human. And yeah. then it's like, no, just figuring something out. And if I'll, if I'm willing to look and first feel it, which I think is important, which I think is what you did, which is like, first feel it. Don't be like spiritual bypassy and jump 10 steps ahead. And then take a second and look and go, okay, what did these two no's tell me? Like, what was there for me? There's something, yeah. obviously always something to learn. So what, what's there? That coaching client that dropped me, like, fuck. Okay, if I'm being honest with myself, where were the areas in which I wasn't doing as much as I could or that wasn't the right fit or whatever it is? So we can disidentify with the, like, source oh, of the self-worth. It opens us up to the ability to actually, like, see the full opportunities available. Mm-hmm. And the journey of, like, raising capital and you know it's like a whole exploration of your relationship with money like and how or my relationship with money in my journey it's like how do I show up in a way that like allows that in and allows that to flow and if it's not like where am I showing up 
incorrectly or mm. you know, there's no right or wrong, but like, what work do I have to do? I mean, there's also the element of like, in these cases, it was like, it's not a portfolio match, like that they, they have a thematic and it doesn't right. fit into it. So it's really not personal. And I mean, arguably it never is. Right. right. But, and it's how much, like spending that time with like, well, just let it go. Like, it's just not a match, but then also not being completely dismissive and saying, well, what part do I own? Like, why did I even get on a call with that particular fund? Like, how do I, you know, navigate that a little bit better next time? So I'm talking to the right people or whatever it might be, but like, there's always work to do. And then there's an element of like, don't go too far down a rabbit hole that you really don't need to. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, guilty certainly of over analyzing, over diving in, over, taking this ownership and self-responsibility and like, you know, it's like a hundred percent of my thing versus like there's two parties in this and like, it just wasn't a match or whatever. And that's okay. I only need to like take responsibility for, or look at my, yeah. my part of the, the dynamic or whatever it might be. Yeah. I, I see this so often, you know, something that gets thrown around a lot is like the, the extreme ownership idea of like, mm-hmm. okay, well you got to own all the stuff, like whatever you circumstance you're in you need to own what what your part of that is and I agree with that but I think the piece that's missed often is that sometimes the piece we need to own the piece I need to own is that I need to just let it go <laughs> like that's the piece that needs to be owned is like oh this wasn't for you leave yeah. it behind <laughs> and we kind well, of forget that the, piece yeah I think the key that you said is owning your part of it and I think often we overextend we go beyond what's ours to own yeah we own like everything like it's all and it's like so beautiful to be that kind of willing to dive in and to own and to look but sometimes it's just overboard and you know it's probably just on the form of self-sabotage self-pity being in the victim mode or i don't know martyrdom yeah exactly probably more of that yeah yeah that's been a big one for me to unpack over the years it's like the amount of times where i will and you can see it like through journaling, through different practices, you see it after the fact, you're like, wow, I orchestrated that entire fucked up circumstance <laughs> so that I could feel like I was being self-sacrificial and therefore a good person. It's like, hmm, yeah, interesting. Good work. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, leadership. So I think this is a topic that you are, I would consider an expert in personally. Um, and kind of walking people through some of the process that you've gone through. So I think in our last podcast episode, we talked a little bit about entrepreneurship. Um, but I'd love for you to just really quickly touch on just sort of like your quick hits journey and then sort of some of the key points or key takeaways you've learned from being involved and in owning so many companies at this point. I think it's actually an interesting segue because it's been a big part of my leadership journey, just to circle back to what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. of like, you know, going from being the type of leader who blamed everything around me, like everybody was incompetent, like, you know, nothing was going fast enough or working properly or like if it if it has to be done, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself, like that kind of mentality at the beginning to like the extreme opposite pendulum swing where like everything is on me. Like, and I think as a good leader, it is pretty important to acknowledge the fact that like most of it is coming down from you and whatever you're seeing in your business is a mirror um, and there's work for you, but there's, it's once again, it's like, there's still other people playing their role. And if you take on all of it, you're actually one enabling them to carry on the way they are and you're robbing them of the potential growth and 
you're maybe actually avoiding like having uncomfortable conversations or doing the things you need mm-hmm. to do because you're just like, oh, this is all on me. So I won't even talk to them about it. I'll just like own it quietly over here by myself. More like, internal work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, that's not, that's not the role either. So that's been a part of my journey just to kind of um, connect the dots there mm-hmm. on what we were previously talking about. But yeah, I guess um, I, I feel like I probably am a natural born leader and didn't necessarily know that but like if I even look at my social life as a teen or whatever I was always organizing the parties and like I would kind of like the um that key like what would you call like the one that brought all the friendship groups Mm. together like that Mm -hmm. was kind of the role I played socially um and then early in my career like naturally gravitated toward and, and could feel myself wanting responsibility, recognition, and to kind of lead in some way, whether it was just leading like a project or it was actually leading people, you know, it it evolved over time. And I I still had my own levels of self-doubt around that. But I think if, you know, if I think in my numerology, it says something like I'm a, I'm a one, I'm a pioneer. And it says something like, um, you know, dear one, your place, you know, your place is at the top. That's where you like to be. And you Mm. need to be honest with yourself about Mm. that. Don't pretend that you don't. Mm. I think that's very true. Doesn't mean that I don't doubt things. Sometimes I don't have my own fears and insecurities, Mm. of course, always, but I am very comfortable in that leadership position. Mm. Um, And so I guess, yeah, my journey was starting my first company back in 2009, early 2010, you know, it was those early days, a very immature leader um, where it, it was very much that like, I am the boss. So just, mm. you know, listen to me. Like I, I'm not, I haven't like earned your respect as a leader. I just am in that position and I'm the one that hired you or I'm the one that holds this title. So, you know, people should just listen and just do it exactly as I told them. And then yeah. you start to realize like it doesn't happen that way. And, you know, I went through, as I said, all of that period of like, discontent with the people that I was leading and discontent with the team. And I would look internally to some degree because I knew I would be trying to try different things and try and get different outcomes. But I wasn't really at that point of really taking responsibility and understanding who I was as a leader. Mm. And I think that was the big shift in the journey was putting down all of the business books and leadership books and trying to do everything that they said and really getting to know myself and how I show up as a leader and how I authentically can do that and connect and kind of, you know, I get what is leadership. Ultimately it's like I said, it's not actually given it's earned and, and Mm. leadership is, I guess, becoming someone that people want to follow. So to speak Mm. for lack of a better word, or want to kind of be a part of their journey who want to kind of be guided by them to some degree or another. And that can be, you know, I see it all the time in my own teams where someone is very clearly a leader. Like they don't necessarily Mm. hold a title in the business. They don't even have a team, but like they're leading the whole organization by the Mm. way they show up every day. And you can just see people look to them for like guidance and advice and support. And it's so beautiful to watch because you, that's really the truth of leadership. It's not, you know, being the boss or being the manager or whatever the position you hold, it's the position you earn in the minds of the people around you. So I wasn't really able to achieve that fully until, as I say, I put down like everybody else's way of doing things and just started to find my own way, which came with my, also my journey alongside my journey of doing inner work and taking that responsibility and looking for the things that I could improve and um, 
playing around with how how I was showing up, how things were happening, seeing the outcomes that I was getting and kind mm. of going on a journey to connect with that um, in a way that was true as well, not a way that was manipulative, like, oh, this hasn't been working. So, you know, if I act like this, I'll get a different outcome. Here's my trick. Like, yeah, here's my trick to get the thing. It's like, you know, really where I came into my power, I think my personal power was when I just started acting in my deepest authenticity and my deepest truth of like what what is what is my best way of showing up right now and how can I be, um, how can I bring everything and be very open? Like that has been my, my leadership um, style, I suppose, is like deep openness, deep vulnerability, deep connection. And it's still difficult. Like I, I told my team on Monday how I was feeling after getting the nose and I was feeling mm-hmm. a bit down and, you know, struggling a little bit or whatever. And I was nervous to say that, like, yeah. No, I'm, I still have the story. Like I'm meant to be the leader, but right. once again, like I trusted myself and I did it cause I knew it was the right thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And once again, it galvanized the team. Like they appreciate mm. in our company, in our culture and who I am, they appreciated that, that kind of openness and that it gave them space to step up for me yeah. and, you know, hold me in, in my moment of vulnerability. It also shows them that they're able to have that themselves down the track. Which even as a side note, it's, I think it's an interesting concept for perhaps an underrated reason. And this is like, I see a similar thing in relationships where when someone's really vulnerable with you, you are much more sure you're not going to get blindsided. Mm-hmm. And it creates a real sense of safety because you, they know Sarah's not going to come out of nowhere and go, well, for the past five months, I've been thinking about ending the company. And so now I'm ending it. And like, yeah. they had no idea that was going to happen they know that you're coming to them with what you're feeling. And so it creates that safety of like, okay, cool. We know where she's at. Like she's struggling a little bit right now. That's fucking fine. <laughs> but yeah. at least we know. And it creates a sense of like, cause I've let them in on my journey. It's like, oh, we're all in this together. And then we yeah, galvanize yeah. around it and we move forward. And I mean, time and again, I've seen like incredible outcomes and the team I built in grow my team. I mean, they are, so phenomenal like they the, I watch them now I've handed over to another CEO and I watch the way that they all work together the way they move mm. the way they move the company forward together like they very much are working side by side together and mm. I, I kind of formed that um, context or the way that I like to look at leadership as well in my mind of like I'm still working side by side with my people like mm. my role Um, the thing that I've agreed to do in this team is to lead. So I'm looking at the vision, I'm creating strategy and I'm keeping us all kind of focused around that. But I can't do that without, you know, this person telling me this thing and this person looking after this area and like all those other people that are helping me navigate the ship, so to speak. Like Mm. if we were a literal ship on the ocean, I might be the one with the looking glass out the front kind of going, this is the way we've got to go. But I wouldn't know this is the way we're going to go if somebody else hadn't told me like, hey, the weather's coming in or like this is happening over here or we've blown a sail. So we need yeah. to, I don't know, <laughs> my, my, my ship metaphors are probably terrible, <laughs> but, you know, we need to adjust course because this has happened. <laughs> Every single person, including the person who might be cleaning <laughs> um, so that everyone can have a clean place to sleep or eat or whatever it might right. be. Like every single person is equally important in that journey of getting us to where we're going we're actually walk, we are actually walking side by side together on this journey. Um, and ever since I had started looking at it like that, 
I feel like the energy shifts as well. And I get like a better outcome, this beautiful, like collaborative feeling within my team. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it's, uh, you know, it's really interesting to think about because I think most people conceptualize like a leader as this completely special solitary position that is isolated and it's its own thing. But really what I hear and what you're saying is almost just treating it like it's another job. Like, okay, so you're the marketing director, you're the leader, you're the janitor, and these are all just jobs. And it takes all of them to create this thing to work, but that really is a a beautiful sort of ecosystem to create because then it's not this like pedestalization of like, okay, so I'm the leader. So here I am yeah. now. And that word ecosystem is what I use um, to describe our organization. It's like um, we're all playing a role and actually also our, any partners, any investors, any customers, like everyone is actually part of this eco- ecosystem. And even at that level, no one's more important than the other. Like I don't want to make a decision that benefits our customers that disadvantages the internal team or a, be- or a decision that you know benefits the investors but disadvantages our partners or whatever it might be. I feel like every decision we need to make should be, every decision we make needs to be beneficial for everyone. There shouldn't be like a, a loser within our ecosystem on decisions we're making. And I mean, that's a much more what I, I, I guess we hear the word like conscious capitalism or whatever mm. put around. And that's the way I kind of view it is like, actually can we open to the concept that if everybody that's involved in this beautiful organization is kind of benefiting to some degree or another, can we believe that that would actually move the organization forward more than, you know, yeah, it sucks for these people, but we've got to slash prices here so that we can do this so we can drive more shareholder dollars. And like, that's the only thing that matters. I mean, can we believe that we can achieve the same financial results to use a measure that is so commonly used in this world. Um, can we believe that we could achieve the same thing with everybody kind of moving forward in a way that's beneficial? And I, I do, I, I lean into that. I definitely believe that. Absolutely. And it's a more like, what would you call it? More confident position almost. It's like, oh no, I know we're so badass that we can make this happen. And everyone can partake in the win. It's a very like, uh, even as talking about vendors and stuff like that blue ocean strategy of like, there are ways for us all to win here. It's not, I win at the expense of other person. And especially within a company, it's so important because oftentimes it's the way companies are run. It's like, okay, the top 10 people in the company are winning at the expense of the person at the bottom making $4 an hour to like pick grapes or something. Or the customers who actually pay the financial exchange in mm-hmm. are, the, are the losers and the shareholders are the winners or whatever it might be. Like, I mean, yeah, I just, I think there's, it doesn't have to be that way. And I really do believe that I, I see my companies as energy. So if I look at it as a ball of energy and that everyone involved is contributing to that energy, it feels very natural to me that if that energy remains like the color and the vibrancy that I see it Mm. because everybody's aligned and contributing in that vibrant, you know, beautiful way. Of course, that's going to grow more than like this part's like sucking the energy out of here. And there's like a black spot over there, like moldy and like, Mm -hmm. there's very visual, but that's kind of how I to relate with energy and how I see my company. And yeah, I mean, it just makes a lot of natural sense to me as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, ecosystem, like that's the way I just watched uh, Biggest Little Farm 
uh, Godzi recommend. I haven't it. seen that, but I've heard it's amazing. Okay, it's really good. It won't spoil too much for you, but it really points out because they're trying to build this like form that has everything in it. It really shows just the way that like one little thing being off, like, oh, there's crows and they're not supposed to be crows <laughs> and it ruins everything. And it's the same thing for a business. Like mm-hmm. these one little pieces that, uh, and I think it's not, it's often not captured or realized in some bigger companies because what I've seen in my professional experience is because things are still kind of working, this all gets swept under the rug. So they don't realize the inefficiency of the fact that they've got 30% of their workforce pulling the opposite direction of where they're actually trying to go. Um, So I just think the strategy that you employ is it's also like tactically useful too, because it's the idea of like, if everyone was inspired enough to be pulling in the same fucking direction, how much further could we get? Probably Mm -hmm. a lot further with a lot less yelling and anger. Yeah. And the other thing that I've experienced is if someone is coming in with a big complaint, um, you know, really unhappy, you know, things are not working mm-hmm. or whatever. The first thing I do is I just try to check like the alignment of the organization, like where we're going, what mm-hmm. we stand for, who we are, how we show up. Is the complaint valid? Like, are we, are we out of alignment with that? If it is great, it's actually feedback. And we will very easily be able to engage that person by saying, thank you. Like you're helping us get back on course. This is fantastic. Here's how we can kind of make it up to you or whatever. Great. In the instance that you're like, okay, you're really pissed off. I see that, Mm -hmm. but like, that's not who we are. Like we're not, we can't be that for you. Um, that's so beautiful as well because it helps you navigate out of, mm-hmm. you know, those relationships, whether it's a customer or a team member or whatever it is. It's like, well, we're not trying to be everything for everybody. Like right. this is our ecosystem. This is our community. This is our tribe. This is what we stand for. And like, we're not trying to be this other thing. Um, so it's like the fact that you feel disconnected, let down is very valid and very okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to be able to show up and be that for you though. It's just not who we are. So you know, here's some other alternatives, here's some other options. And ever since I've kind of gone down that path as well of really understanding who I am as an organization, who I am as a leader, who out what who I am as a leader, who the company is as an organization, what we stand for. It's like I can attract in all of the players in that ecosystem that also want to be a part of creating that same thing, showing up in that way, mm. that kind of being in the world. Yeah. If someone comes to you and they're like, really just angry that you don't build iPhones. Yeah. (laughs) Like I've got an awesome option for you. I'm sorry. We don't build iPhones. Like that's not what we're doing here, but you can go work for Apple (laughs) and just like, it's a filtering device, both for your company, but also for that person, like rather than stringing them along and being like, Hey, well maybe we'll try to make adjustments. Like, no, this actually isn't a fit. And why don't we find you the spot where you're going to be happy instead? Yeah, I mean, we had this exact thing come up or it has come up a couple of times with Growmotely because we are a remote work platform and kind of our point of difference is that we are helping people find long-term permanent remote positions um, with benefits. So they have job security, it's an ongoing role, it's full-time or part-time, but it's not a gig, it's not project-based, it's not hours-based. So that's our point of difference. There's a lot of companies that do that and do it really well what we were seeing over the years is a lot of people who have been freelancing in that way 
are now tired because over the last 10 years, the only way to work remotely pretty well, unless you had a really, unless you really lucked out with an employer Mm -hmm. that was like, yeah, okay, you can be like the one person in the company that works remote. Like most people who wanted to work remote joined these freelancer platforms and kind of essentially became a little business where they were constantly having to find new customers and do all of that. And for some people that works fantastically for a lot of people. And then there were a lot of people that were also getting burnt out and saying like, I want to be, a lawyer, a graphic designer or whatever, but I don't necessarily want to like always have to find clients, always have to, you know, make sure I'm getting paid and figure out my finances and all that. I actually really want to join a team, be part of something bigger and do what I do really well with them. And we were hearing that and this was pre-COVID and we're like, okay, we can build this thing. And that's what we're building. But naturally, like as we're on this journey of growing, it'll come in like, oh, why don't we like do do like a project-based thing? What what about people who want project-based or like someone on the platform will be trying to hire and then they'll be like, oh, you know, is it possible to hire this person on an hours basis? We don't think we have enough work. And it's like, I'm so okay with just having the conversation around mm-hmm. like, that's just not who we are. It's not what we're doing. It's not the problem in the world that we're solving. Like right. these companies are though, go check them out. Like they're freaking awesome. They're doing mm-hmm. a great job at it. And this is what we're really doing. Um, and I think that's super important as well because, you know, once again, in my early days in business, I would hear something like that and be like, oh, we better do that thing because that's what people want. And I think there's an element of listening to your customers, but when you're really connected to the business, I mean, this business really feels like it's like, I'm channeling it. Like, Mm. it's not me. I didn't come up. It's not like Sarah's amazing idea. It's like the universe said, Hey, PS, you're getting called. Yeah. Tapping you on the shoulder and giving you a bit of a pat on the backside and saying like, you got to go do this thing. And so that as well, kind of like very much helps me be like, I'm not going to get distracted because this is not necessarily my idea, but I know this is what's meant to be happening Mm. because every time I say yes to it, like I get a whole lot of more downloads coming through of like what I've got to do next and how it's evolving. Like it would be such a disservice for me to be like, oh, the market's dictating we do this. Like the market Mm. only knows what it knew before. Right. Like this is a whole new world that we're entering into. We got, I mean, I was already working on this and then we got dumped in it last year. And it's like, if we do what we always did before, we only have what we always had. It's now a time for something new. And that's part of, that's what we're creating. That's the role that we're playing. So, you know, it's knowing like, if you are just in business because you feel like you want to be in business, then sure, listen to your customers and try to find that thing that's sustainable mm. and that will keep going if you're not particularly passionate. But that's mm. not who I am as an entrepreneur. Who I am as an entrepreneur is like, I'm so incredibly passionate about this problem that we're solving. I feel very compelled. I feel in partnership with the universe. So let's go do it, which requires like this kind of higher level of faith to just have the conviction right. um, to be a little flexible because you still have to listen to your customers. But not to the point where you're going like off course and do, building something that they're telling you that they want. Yeah. Do they really want it? I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, do, yeah. Do they know? Probably not. <laughs> and, How can we know? We didn't know we wanted an iPhone to right, go back to that. Exactly that. We didn't know we wanted that um, until we got it. So yeah, if, if cool. Steve Jobs and Apple were building like a better version of what already existed, we would just have like an, another, like a, what was those, the Nokia 5110 that had snake on it and hundred and something characters of text. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we would have 200 characters to text right. and have an extra game and a different color or something like 
you know, that's what almost every other phone company did at the time. And then mm. iPhone came in and it was a whole nother ball game. So, you know, these big shifts forward, there has to be some level of conviction that's based mm-hmm. on a blind faith versus yeah. just purely listening to what people want because they don't even know yet what they want. Well, and I think especially at the beginning stages of a company, like you can't dilute your energy trying to do everything. Like if you're trying to be all things to all people, you're going to be spending extraordinary amount of energy on like other things that you're not as sure of. So it's just that discernment to stay away from the shiny object syndrome. It's like, okay, just because two people, two customers told you they wanted this does not mean that that's market research does not mean that that's going to be the thing you need to do. Um, and especially like in your case, where there's like competitors that are in that space already. It's like doubly clear, like, yeah, maybe 15 years down the road when the company's running like amazing, like a well-oiled machine, you're like, okay, what's the next product in our portfolio? Mm-hmm. Ah, but yeah, like, especially in those starting phases. And, and being sure that like, what is the problem we're solving? And do we actually have a problem here? Like not the problem that the company's solving, but like a, a problem the company has, like we're getting into something where we're like, oh, these two customers said this thing and like, maybe we should consider it. It's like, well, firstly, like, is there actually a problem? Like, are we seeing enough evidence of this being something that needs to be addressed? And even then another step forward, like still not just listening to their suggestion, but like really making sure we understand not what they're asking for and suggesting, but what the core of the problem is, because there could be a different solution that will satisfy those people, even though they couldn't see that solution. If we really understand you know, what the problem actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, someone might say, well, we want gig work available. And what maybe three levels under that is, I don't want to feel tied down to a company. And that may be a whole different problem set that has maybe a, uh, answer that dovetails into what you do or maybe it doesn't but like yeah. answering the real question rather than what most people in companies do which is just the answer at the surface level like i want this but well, great let me give you that um yeah. i think is the way those quantum leaps get put forward yeah i was i did like a short course recently um on this kind of diff, like problem thinking um mm-hmm. and it was like they gave an example of a huge oh, building um, and their elevator system. They were getting a lot of complaints in the building that the elevator was going too slow. So immediately they start looking at, okay, do we need to get a faster elevator? Is this elevator broken? Um, should we actually put another elevator? Like maybe that's it. We need an extra one. And then someone was like, what's the actual problem? People don't like waiting. They're bored while mm. they wait. They put mirrors by the elevator on every mm. floor and the complaints went away because mm. the mirror gave people something to look at while they were waiting. And all mm. of a sudden they didn't have the problem of experiencing boredom during wait time. Right. <laughs> it was actually nothing really to do with the elevator. If they put a faster elevator in and very quickly, we adapt and go, this is now too, takes too long. Or someone would have said this fast elevator makes me sick. Yeah. <laughs> Inherit a new problem based off your solution. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was like, it's such a like, you know, simple mundane real world example, but it was like, wow, like you've really got to challenge yourself as a business person of like, um, are we sure we understand what people mm. actually like are struggling with here? Not what they think they want, but yeah. like what would actually solve it? I love that. Just the hilarious undertone of that solution too, of like, you're going to stand here and look at yourself. (laughs) You're going to think about what you're asking for. Look at yourself. It's so true, right? Like, (laughs) like, Wow. 
Awesome. So <clears throat> you've written a book, which is an aspiration of mine eventually. So I want to hear first, I want to hear two things. And one of these is going to be less, it's going to be a little more off the wall. So I want to hear what the writing process was like for you, because that's something I'm personally interested in. And then I want to hear a little bit about your book and sort of what people can find in it. Cool. Um, and before we go there, I'm excited for you to write a book and mm -hmm. I would love to support you in any, any way I can on that journey. Um, so the process of writing. Okay. One thing I will say, and I will caveat is, you know, I'm not a big believer in luck. I believe in the fact that we were born into, there's a luck, there's luck around the lottery of birth, as they say, but most other things in life, as we go, like the luck happens through a combination of like showing up, doing this work, knowing what we want and actually saying yes to opportunities when they present themselves. Um, it's not so much luck. However, it's interesting because I feel there's this one area of my life that has felt very like that. And it's around writing books. So I wrote a book in 2012 that was published in 2013 that um, it also had been like a thought of mine, like, oh, one day I'd like to write a book. And I just thought it's a one day thing. Like I'm not even ready yet. When I get around to it, I'll do it. And back in 2012, I was listed in, um, the Melbourne magazine, which was a city I lived in as one of the top hundred most influential citizens. And I was a young female in finance at the time. That was why I'd been listed. And I was immediately contacted by a publisher and they said, would you like to write a book on personal finance for people? And I was like, 100% yes. Tell me what I have to do. I am in. And I still had to go through a process of pitching and writing and they had to make sure that I could actually, you know, front up with a reasonable, reasonably written manuscript and concept and all of that. So I still had to go through a similar process, but I mean, I had a massive foot in the door and they said yes, um, because I am a reasonable writer, like for sure, I think. And at this point, I think I'm actually a really good writer, but I had some skill. I had some idea around what I was writing. I pitched them and they were like, yes, but I had a massive foot in the door. They had approached me and this was just very different to a lot of what I've experienced in my life where it's like, I know what I want. It's a goal. And then I like work really hard to get it. And like, you know, there's ups and downs along the way and it's a roller coaster. So kind of the same thing happened this time around. Um, it was not long after I'd met Joe at your retreat, we decided to lock down together in Austin and he was starting his first company and we would go for walks or we would sit in the garden and we would just talk and talk about business. And I would be sharing with him all of my stories mm -hmm. over the years. And oh, the book is called Conscious Leadership, just mm -hmm. for context, everybody. Um, and I was telling him my stories of business and leadership and everything that I had learned along the way. And he was embarking on, at the same time as starting his company, he was embarking on the journey of writing his book as well. So this was kind of the theme of our conversations. And at one point he was like, why don't you write down all these stories you're telling me? Like, they're so great. And I was like, really? And he's like, yes, you have so much wisdom. I'm learning so much. Like, please just like write it down. You should, you could write a book or something. And I was like, okay, cool. And I thought, yeah, I could just put together like a little ebook that we can have as like a lead magnet, as they say, like a downloadable thing on our website and attract, you know, some email addresses and things like that. So I just started writing and then like, more seemed to come out than was probably, you know, would would have been fair for me to just give away as a right, lead. For sure. and I'm like, oh, there's actually like quite a bit of meat in here. Um, 
you know, it's not, it's not sort of a, a 10 page thing. Um, it's, it's also not huge. It's ended up being 26,000 words. I think it's about mm. 90 odd, 90 or hundred pages. So it's mm. kind of, I guess, ended up being something that you could sit down and read in a sitting like mm. on a plane or something like that. We don't go mm. on planes as often as we used to, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a digestible fast read, but there was enough meat in there that I was like, okay, like maybe I'll actually just self-publish this as as a book I was like you know I might as well I'll find out about self-publishing and so Joe was like oh, I'll introduce you to the guy who's doing my self-publishing great so I have this call and in anticipation of the call I sent him my manuscript mm. and I get on the call and he's like great so it's really great to meet you and we do have this self-publishing arm of our business however we also have a publishing house and we want to publish your manuscript and I was just like oh mm. <laughs> okay good. Yes. Mm. Um, it was pretty much no thought for me because mm. I also know that it's not just about writing a book. It's you have to market it. You have to, you know, yeah. do publicity. You have mm-hmm. to get it into bookstores or obviously, you know, Amazon's really the big play these days, mm-hmm. but there's still a whole process. That it's basically a little business on its own yeah. that you need to go out into the world. And you know, I was right at the startup journey of Gromotely and there's no way I really had time for any of that. So mm. even when I got to the point of self-publishing, I was just a bit like, well, yeah, I'll just do it and I'll put it on the website and I'll do the free chapter as the lead magnet. And if people right. buy it off Amazon, then that will be really nice as well. But yeah, he straight away was like, we would love to publish this. And I got a really fantastic publishing deal um, financially as well, which was awesome, probably partly as well because of my previous book and things. I had a little bit more, um, I mean, we didn't have big negotiation. I think what he offered me was really fair, but yeah. it, was, it was just fantastic. And I was just like, so anyway, I just, to give that context Mm. that that book kind of did just come out of me Mm. however I will say um you know there's still a little bit of a grind to it like I basically the bones of the book came out when I planned like Joe had said these stories are amazing so I kind of brainstormed like these are the stories I think there's about 14 of them Mm. they became the chapters and there was just a theme around every chapter where I would pull that story of my 10-year journey to explain how I came to this kind of conclusion, idea, realization, concept, whatever you want to call it. Um, So, you know, once I got into the grind of writing, like there's still an element that's like, okay, I've got to show up today. And like today I don't quite feel like it, but by and large, I wrote it in about six weeks in kind of March, April of quarantine last year. And then it existed. And then when I ended up sending that manuscript off and now it's getting published and it's, it's just been released in pre-sale and, Mm. um, will be available for purchase very soon, June 8th. So I'm not sure when this podcast will go live, but yeah, really, really exciting. Oh, awesome. There you go. So it'll be available very soon, June 8th, um, which is super exciting. Um, But I will say that I've got about four other books that I've started Ah. that are much more like personal. Mm. (laughs) And those are the ones that are like way harder to write Mm. because, you know, there was still this book is a personal journey. And even the finance book, Get Rich Slow, that I published back in 2013, there was a lot of my own journey in there. But there's like a little bit of kind of maybe separation that one of the books I'm writing is literally my life story. And it started, you know, when I was in the middle of a breakdown and I got this message when I was in the bath one day that was just, I was like, how do I heal? Like, how do I climb out of this? Just having this conversation with the universe or my higher self or whatever. And I just got this message, like, just start writing and just start from the beginning. Mm. And I just started writing my earliest memories. But, you know, that's been a really painful journey to embark on. And 
digging up a lot of things, sitting with a lot of things, even painful in the joy, like oh, that joy that I felt and now it's gone. And then, you know, it's just been a very emotional journey. And I kind of got to about the age of 21 or 22 in that book and kind of I've, I've stopped and I haven't really picked it up again. And, you know, I probably won't pick it up again until some other crisis point in my life. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's some other books that I'm writing. They're a lot more difficult to write, a lot more difficult to structure, a lot more difficult to um, get my head around like what's trying to come out. But I have been quite fortunate with these two books that just sort of came out of me. Yeah, so burst into cool. the world. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's a, uh, yeah, I think when you know the subject matter so well too, and when it, when it's capturing, like I think people, it could be really difficult to write a book where you are, like who is the author that does this? Uh, anyways, I'm gonna forget his name, but for every book he does like a system of notes and like fucking like mm. research is a fully new topic and like does this whole thing. And I'm just like, that's a lot versus- Totally. Just shit I've gone through <laughs> that I know about. Um, and I mean, right at the front of the book, I'm like, pretty much in my intro I'm like this is just my story if it resonates mm. great if it doesn't don't worry about it like I'm not trying to say I am the ultimate expert because I have studied and researched yeah. and immersed for x amount of years and here is the way to be a conscious leader like first of all I think conscious leadership really is just getting to know yourself mm. and showing up in that way and when you know yourself you know how to genuinely connect and you've removed all those layers of you know, egoic manipulation that can be so subtle, but is still there. When you remove all of that and you're just able to connect as who you are, you know, that's what I have found to be my greatest strength as a leader. So there's actually no point in someone reading the book and being like, I'm going to do exactly what she did because mm. that in all likelihood won't be completely authentic for them. There may be some pieces in there that they feel like, hell yeah, I totally vibe with that. Like that is me. I'm going to bring that. But there'll be other things that are like, meh, that doesn't sound right for me and like, don't do it then. (laughs) But that's where I'm not kind of that. My style isn't that deep research. I'm a deep experience person. Mm. I would say like, that's how I learn things in this world. How I is, is to become them, to embody them, to experience them. And that's the place that I write from. Yeah. Which I love. Cause like of the books I've enjoyed reading, uh, especially books that are sort of, whether they're geared in the self-help space or the business space or even meditation and other topics like that, I find a lot of difficulty when it's dry. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of joy when it's stories and it's mm-hmm. stories to illustrate a point. So once you're on personal stories, then you have like this vibrant experience that you went through that you're writing about, which mm-hmm. it just makes it easier for me at least to access the messages. Yeah, I totally agree. Have you read um, 10% Happier? The book meditation? Started it. That's kind of a cool example of what you're talking. I mean, he has a little bit of research because he was a journalist who he got into meditation because he got put on the evangelical reporting circuit where he had to go and report on all the different like extreme ends of different religions and movements and things. And then he kind of got into meditation, but ultimately his journey was like, it made him 10% happier. And that was a, like, it, it didn't necessarily need to be like, I'm now enlightened and I'm like going to disappear into the ethers peacefully, like, or whatever it might be. But 
I, I thought that was a cool book because it was just very real and it was very appropriate for where I was at at the time. Yeah. And it was just very real and his journey and it wasn't kind of too heavy. It was, you know, I was trying to learn about meditation, but a lot of what I was picking up was like, whoa, I feel like I'm not doing it right. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love this, the, the titling too. And I've heard, I think it's Dan Harris wrote that book, right? Is, yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. I've heard him on a couple podcasts and just the general concept of like, stop aiming at enlightenment, like aim at 10%. Yeah. And just that is like reality shifting. So mm-hmm. I love that as concept. So tell us just a couple, you know, maybe one of your favorite stories from the book or just a general favorite entrepreneurship story um, to kind of take us home here as a, as a wrap up story. Well, you know, I'll tell you the story because we talked a little bit about vulnerability and opening up and, you know, I feel at this point, like I'm the most vulnerable in my team. Like I'm the one that really goes there. Um, and you know, that, that is an awkward place to be sometimes, but it's created a lot of trust, but I'll tell you about how I kind of got to that point. Um, and I think there, there's two stories, one really quick one, cause I mentioned my breakdown, um, that I had in 2018, that was a time and it was, it was later than this bigger story I'll tell you, but that was a time where I kind of opened up to my team and I was like, Hey, like I'm having what I think is a breakdown and I can't kind of show up the way that I need to, but like, just do your best and I'll be back online whenever I can. Um, which ended up being about a month and, you know, they were just so amazing. They were just completely supportive. They were like, just let her do her thing and like, we'll figure it out. And it was a really beautiful time for them because they got to step fully into their power, even mm-hmm. though I believe we were a fairly empowered team before, you know, they got to dig that little bit deeper and be like, well, I can't quickly check it with Sarah. So I'm just going to like make the decision. And literally like the first time you do that is a big confidence builder. And then, you know, you keep going from there. And yeah. that was a very transformative time for that team in particular and very galvanizing, but where it really started for me, where I even got to a place where I would consider telling my team, like I'm having a breakdown, like do your, do your best um, was around, it was the start of 2016. So I'd been, been in business for about five ish, six ish years. And I'd kind of had a couple of good wins. So I'd sold one company or maybe even two at that point. I had like money in the bank and, I'd gotten a little ahead of myself in terms of I'd started, I think I had like four businesses on the go at that time or whatever. And I'd just flown like everyone from all company to the, all companies to the Philippines. We had this big international retreat and it was like really cool, amazing experience. And then everybody went home and I was, as I said, I was in the Philippines. My uncle lives there and I was, I was at my uncle's place afterwards hot as hell and I'm having a beer with my ops manager and we're trying to like just relax but we couldn't because we started talking about the state of the company one company in particular and the main company that was the kind of the one that was meant to be kind of um floating the other ones as they got started the golden goose the golden (laughs) goose and you know, this company had like quite a big name in Australia and like, it looked very shiny and bright from the outside. And as I say, we've just flown the whole, everyone from all over the world to one place. And we were just sitting there and we were so stressed because the company was losing a hundred grand a month and had been already for like six months. And for context, the revenue wasn't even a million dollars. So a hundred thousand dollars a month of that size of business is significant. 
And where was that money coming from? Me, like I was just putting it in and we were sitting there having this really stressed out conversation because she was like, we need to put money in again. Like the Amex card is due and this is happening. And so we were about to sit down and calculate like what new lump sum of money should I put in? Like, will Mm -hmm. I put in 300,000? Will I put in 500,000? But for some reason, it kind of just hit me like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just continuing to float this huge loss and not actually facing whatever reality we might need to be facing in the business to tidy this up and start going in the right direction. And it was a very, um, you know, another one of those ego deaths where I was like, what the fuck? Like I have just living a double life. Like it looks so beautiful. And even everyone in my team thinks everything's amazing because we just had this international retreat yet not not 24 hours later that everybody's gone on their plane to go home we're sitting here looking at the reality that the company will actually go under in about six months if we don't do something and so we spent the next kind of couple of days just diving into all the financials diving into the whole strategy diving into the numbers across marketing sales everything looking at everyone in the team and making some really significant decisions, which were we had to let go of a couple of team members who were not in alignment. And then we made tons of cuts, but we still got to the point where we were $30,000 a month in the hole. And I was like, it's not acceptable. Like if we're actually doing this thing properly, like let's clean up and change what's happening going forward. But what that required was me getting on a call to my team and telling them the state of play, just being like, hey, and this is what you talked about earlier. This is that shock where like, what? I thought everything was amazing. Right. And you're telling me that the company is going to fail in a few months if we don't do anything. Um, and I told them everything. And I was like, this is my fault. Like I've been like essentially had my head in the sand by just putting money in, which right. is right. part of my own pattern of to do with my abandonment wound and mm-hmm. making myself so independent and then creating dependencies where I'm happy to just like pay for things and just like use my own money to like keep things going. So it was like a whole deeper thing, but I basically just laid it all out on the table for the team, told them, but this is the strategy. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to be. And we're not going to have this kind of organization anymore where we're losing this amount of money. But to get there, I need you guys to all take pay cuts because I don't even have a salary. So I can't even cut anything from there. And they all came back. Uh, And I said, and you can leave if you want. Like, I understand if if you're just like really pissed off and you're like, no, I don't want to take a pay cut. I don't want to like deal with this. I'm out. So I kind of gave them the option. Like I fully understand if you want to part ways. Um, but if you do want to stay, like, please have a think about what you might be able to sacrifice and we'll build a plan to get you back within six months to your current earnings and beyond. And every single one of them came back and said, I'm 100% in, this is the pay cut I can take. And we managed to like pretty much clear that like $30,000 and get back to kind of zero. And we built the company up again over the next year, got everyone back on their previous salaries. And that, like that was really the moment where I don't think I've ever looked back from that moment in terms of the relationship that I have with my team. And, and that was three companies ago, but it's always the same thing where I would never hide something like that from them ever again. Um, I would never hide it from myself because it's, I think that's the interesting thing is when we hide things from other people, we're kind of in a way hiding them from ourselves because we're just not living in our truth of what's really going on. Yeah. So, you know, that was just a point in my life that was very pivotal, pivotal. It's one of the stories I share in my book and it has changed the way I lead and the way my team shows up for me and for each other and the results we get as a company subsequently forever. It's been beautiful. Yeah. I love that. It's a super powerful story. 
because there's so many elements of just like, I mean, taking it from the, the top of just like, oh, I am burying my head in the sand. I'm not willing to look at this, but uh oh. And then coming to terms with it, going, okay, fuck, this is what has to happen. And then the fact that the whole team is like, all right, we can do this. It just, again, goes to show the power of that like true vulnerability. And even in that case, I would say that's less of a blind side than is sometimes given. Um, because sometimes companies will just show up and go, hey, everyone's fired, sorry. <laughs> so that is, yeah, that's a powerful story. And the, uh, I guess just as a finishing thought, if you wanna speak. So the book releases on June 8th, mm -hmm. officially. It's called Conscious Leadership. Mm -hmm. um, where else can people find you? Where are some of the places that's best to go follow your content and engage with you? Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Sarah Hawley with an underscore at the end or something like that, but we'll put it in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, check out growmotely.com. Um, I'm very involved in actively growing the community so you know if it resonates with you if remote work and freedom and flexibility appeals to you whether you're a business owner or someone looking for work like we would love to welcome you in um and you'll receive some welcome emails from me that you can write back to but yeah all the usual spots linkedin instagram um all of that stuff and yeah i would love to carry the conversation on with anyone who's interested who's vibing yeah absolutely well i have all the links uh and the book has a pre-order yeah finger. so it's available for pre-sale right now on amazon um and then yeah it comes out officially on june 8th so yeah. you'll send your copy at that point so everyone will have the pre-order link in the show notes so make sure and go check that out and get the book i know it will be super super powerful just based off the one story and based off who sarah is as a human so make sure you grab that and sarah thank you for being on as always and, and wow, thank you. i'm appreciative that i get to know you so me too, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I love you dearly. Yeah, love you too. All right. So that is it for today's episode. I hope you did enjoy it. I found it really, really powerful speaking with Sarah, as I always do. She has such a unique perspective on the way to run a company and really the way to show up for her employees, similar to how they show up for her. If you want to find her new book, you can find all of the links in the description of the show here. But the book is called Conscious Leadership, and the subtitle is A Journey from Ego to Heart. And that is a powerful, powerful read. So I highly recommend going out and pre-ordering that ASAP. And of course, if you want to support the podcast, there's a couple of really great ways to do so. First and foremost, you can share this episode with a friend and help spread the word about the podcast and get more people listening. You can also sign up for my newsletter on my website. That's where I put all my cool stuff coming up, like different retreats I'm running, different uh, coaching programs I'm offering. And if you do want to book direct one-on-one -on -one coaching, I have packages available on my website. It could be a really powerful way to sort of upgrade your skill set upgrade your understanding, get clear in your life and start aiming at what you want to aim at. So I'd be super happy to see you over there. Again, those links will be in the description and I hope you just have a beautiful week. I hope everything goes swimmingly for you and you are feeling good and lit up and fired up as I am. So much love you all and I'll see you in the next episode.